done from now on? Just drop it wherever you're at. Yeah. Just get on those mics that are durable enough so when you're done with announcements, you just drop it and just disappear. Um, oh, giving. That's fine. You know, it's the first one back, you know. If you guys have never gave at J-Road, there's two ways to give. There's a box in the back foyer. There's a box in the kids' foyer. Or you can give online at jroadchurch.org. You guys got it. I didn't know. I, I thought everybody would say .com. But. So praise God. There's a cricket in here first service, and it was really loud, and I think it's gone. So that's good. We're, we're, the second service is off to a good start. Um, but, hey, I want to welcome you guys back. I'm glad to be back in the building. My papers aren't blowing everywhere because of the, the wind. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys are here, right? And if I want to, I can just turn up these lights. Bruce, can we turn up the house lights a little bit so I can see everybody's face a little bit better? Because that's just the way I operate. I want to see you, and if you're falling asleep, I want to call you out, all right? That's just the, how I do. So as Janine did say, we, are, we did um, retool our, like every, the bones of Jericho Road Church. So the mission, vision, strategy, and all that good stuff, our core values. We didn't necessarily throw everything out, but we worked on like, what we really wanted it to be. And so the mission, uh, mission and I'm going to explain this in weeks ahead, not this week particularly, but a mission of a church is like, what are we ultimately supposed to be doing? Like everything, at the end of the day, what is J-Road supposed to be doing? So we, we talked about that, we worked out that, and it was really good. I'm glad what we came up with. And then the strategy is how we get there. Like what are all the systems that we have in place to get it done? And then at the end of the day, the vision is where are you going? So what are we doing? How are we doing it? And then where are we going? Like, where, does, where do we see J-Road in 10 years from now? And I feel like as a church, I feel like every church body needs that God-sized vision of where we're going. Otherwise, we're just having church every Sunday. And church is great. Like, the point of this is a worship service. But the point of this is to equip you guys to go out and be the church, right? Like, if the, your whole Jesus experience starts and ends on Sunday morning, then that's not good. That's no bueno, as my... Tyler says, who's in Spanish immersion class. It's no bueno. Like, we have to go out and live our faith. And so we always have to be this thing that we're going out to pursue and something that we're going out to work towards. So we are going to be in Romans today, Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up there on the screen so you can see it. But the last time we were in Romans chapter 8, we talked about suffering. And what I said back then was suffering isn't an exception it's an expectation. So if you're experiencing suffering in your life, you shouldn't say, why me? Or am I an exception? Am I unique? No, Jesus said it's an expectation that suffering is going to come your way. And then here, Paul kind of wraps up suffering in the next 10 verses. And, you know, we're going to be in um, Romans 28, or Romans 8, verse 28 through 39. And he talks more about suffering and how he uses suffering and all that good stuff. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says this. And we know that in all things, could everybody say all things? One, two, three. All things. Oh my gosh. You guys are so awake. First service needed more caffeine. Coffee ministry is going to be up as soon as the corona is dead. We're going to be doing coffee first service for them. Um, I don't know if corona could die, but that's, let me just move on. I, I promise I won't talk about it. All right. So we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, if you're following along. For those God foreknew, 
He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So that's how Paul starts this time. He says, And we know that in all things God works together for the good of who? Those who love him and have been called according to the purpose. So this speaks to God's sovereignty. And in God's sovereignty, he's able to work every detail that happens in your life. He's able to twist it, transform it, and use it for your ultimate good. What Satan means for evil, God can take and use for good. Amen? And it's not saying that God caused all the bad things to happen in your life. Because we live in a fallen world, because back in the day, Adam and Eve ate an apple of a tree they weren't supposed to. Remember that? And that brought a curse to the whole earth. And then, you know, we all rebelled. Like, we've all fallen short from the glory of God. So we live in a broken, sinful world where bad things, death, disease happens. Car accidents happen. You know, uh, cancer happens. Uh, we get fired from a boss who's a huge jerk happens. And God is saying that all these things in his omniscience, omnipresence, uh, you know, omniscience, omnipresence, what's the, what's the third one? Omnipotence. He, thank you. Who said that? Give yourself, give yourself a raise, whoever said that. It escaped my brain. Uh, God is everywhere. God is all-powerful. God knows everything. And he is orchestrating every bad thing that happens to you for your ultimate good. And he's twisting it and using it and beautifying it for your good. And that's how it starts out. Like, hey, even though you face suffering, God uses that suffering for your good. And that is like the first promise he makes here. And it's one of, this is, Romans 8, 28 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And I go back to it. And maybe you should write that down. If you're in a period of life where you are suffering and things are coming on you and uh, things are happening to you where you just need to be reminded that, hey, God didn't do it, but he's working, he's working it for your good and ultimately for his glory. So it said, but it says there's a caveat. It says God is working for those who love him. He's manufacturing all the things for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So there's the caveat, is those who love God. Those who love God. He's saying specifically for those who love God. And so my question to you to start is, do you love God? Do you love God? And I know some of you are like, yeah, I'm at church. Of course I love God. But it doesn't say God works together all things for the good of those who go to church. Do you notice that? Like, or those who watch the live stream online. Like, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say God works everything for the good of those who are just try their hardest to be good people or follow the Christian rules or, you know, do all these things. It's saying he works all these for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So we need to come to the point where we realize that not everybody loves God. I think you guys, if you've been on this earth long enough, you know not everybody loves God. But there has to be the reality that there might be people in church that don't love God. So you're like, what? Like, why would anybody come to church if they don't love God? There's that famous verse in the Bible that talked about people got to heaven and they, they stood before Jesus and they said, hey, didn't we go to church? Didn't we serve at every 12? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And Jesus says, I, I, I never knew you. 
you did all these things for me, but I never knew you. And what he's saying is, is like, you never loved me. Like, I wanted this to be this reciprocating love, and I never got that from you. Never knew it. And so you're, you might be here today and say to yourself, I, I don't love God. And so how do we know? Like, how do we know if we love God? And the first thing I ask is, well, do you talk to him? Do you talk to God? Uh, is it like a once a month thing, a once a year thing, a once a day thing? Like, what is it? Like, do you talk to God? And do you let God speak to you through his word? Like, do you read his word or, or listen to his word and have him speak to you? And that's like the start of a good relationship, right? Anybody here married and never talked to your spouse? That would be a pretty crappy marriage, right? <laughs> like, we never talk. I don't know. Like, I haven't seen my wife in like six months. I, I hope she's well, but I, we don't talk. You know, that, that wouldn't be a good marriage, right? Some of you are like, I wish I had that marriage, but no. <laughs> but that wouldn't be a fruitful marriage if you guys never talked. And a lot of marriages break down over this communication thing where they're not communicating, right? Like, the husband's a poor communicator. Their wife's a poor communicator. And they're just not communicating. And so I ask people, like, do you talk to God? And does he talk to you? It's like, nah. Well, if you don't, that's on you. You're not making that time. Like, you're not experiencing that. And the other thing is, are you doing what Jesus says? I say that because if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, are you reading the Bible and figuring out what pleases him and committing your life to try to please him? If you, and that's what it says here in this next verse. I, I put this verse in. It's outside of Romans 8, but it says this. And this is a famous quote by Jesus. He says this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So how do you know who loves God? Jesus said, if you know my commands and you have them and you keep them. Like that, that shows me that you are taking your faith seriously and I'm your Lord and Savior, right? And so I'm wondering, you know, for some of us, if we read this, like we might be thinking, like, where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect? Like, where's the disconnect between what we say, we, we believe, and how we actually live our lives? That, that for some of us, there, it doesn't line up, right? Like, and that's where I said, does your faith start and end on Sunday? Or is it like an every week thing? Is Jesus like your home that you reside in daily? Or is he like the motel you stay at at Sundays and at MC? Because that'll really determine how that disconnect happened, where really you don't like know Jesus' commands, nor do you have any interest in following them. And if you, that's the case, he's saying that you don't love me. Don't love me. Just, just, I mean, like we said, if we're telling people he's our Lord, Lord implies submission and following, right? So we should be trying to follow him. It's not a legalistic thing he's saying here, like follow the rules. He's saying, hey, if you love me, you'll do what I say, right? If I'm your Lord, you'll do what I say. So if you are here today and some of the things I'm striking, or hit, like saying out of God's word is like striking you weird and you're saying, that might be me. I don't pray, I don't read my Bible, I don't have a relationship. The good thing about God is, you know, he forgives us 70 times 7. He welcomes us home, and the Bible says, you know, the prodigal son, I'll welcome, it doesn't matter how far you go, you can always come back by simply turning from the way you're going and start following Jesus. Amen? There's a word in the Bible that starts with an R. Do you guys know what that is? Repent! Repent! Like, that's what the message that we're supposed to be sharing is like, repent to the world. Like, you might have went off on the, uh, like, your own way, 
and you try to do life on your own way, that's what John the Baptist said. Repent and go back to God. Turn from the way you're going and start living for him. And we can repent anytime, amen? We can repent and start living for God today. And it's simply saying, God, I realize I don't love you. And I've been living that way. And he's like, I still love you. Repent and come follow me. <laughs> Repent and come follow me and I'll forgive you. And he's faithful and just to do that. And so at any time in your life where you realize you've gotten off the path, you can get back on that easy. Amen? Come to Jesus today. Let him do a work in your life. So I'm going to do a quick, um, you know, grammar lesson, not grammar, vocabulary lesson for you guys. Because what we covered in this passage is very deep theological stuff. And if I breeze over it, some of you might not care, but you theologians in here will call me out in an email and say, you never explained what predestination was. So I'll do it for some of you. Can you go back one verse, please? Um, Apple computer guys. Um, so the first word I want to talk to you guys about is foreknew in verse 29. For those God foreknew, what does for mean? Before, and new means knowledge. So God had knowledge before. Before what? Before me existed. God knew about me, right? Because he's outside of time. But before the world was created, God knew all of this was about to happen. It's called foreknowledge. Like he knew. He's outside of time. We operate within time. I know some of you think you're smarter than God, but God is outside of time. He knows how it's all going to end talks about it in Revelation, gives you a hint, gives you a little taste. But he knew the foreknowledge, those that would choose Jesus and those that reject him. He knew. Little baby in the crib, God knows when they're 25 years old if they will truly love God or not. Right? He has that foreknowledge. And he knows. So that's what that means. So those he foreknew that would accept the call of salvation. He also predestined. So pre is also before. And destined is like where you're going to end up. He predestined. So he chose your destination for you. To be conformed to the image of your son. So that you might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Meaning bear fruit, share the gospel. So not only did he know you'd accept Christ. But he also chose you. Um, and he chose your destination for you. What's your destination? to look more like Christ every day, to be conformed to the image of his son. So right now, you might not look a lot like Jesus, but if you follow him, he, the Holy Spirit's going to do a work in your heart and transform you to look more like Jesus. Amen? And you're just going to look more like Jesus every day. Some of you look a lot more like Jesus now than you did two years ago. Right? <laughs> I know a lot of you, and I know I have too. I'm a different person. And he predestines us to be more like Jesus. Justified is the other word. Justified means not guilty. When we accepted the call to faith and open our hearts to Jesus and accept his sacrifice, we are justified, meaning not guilty. Our sins are removed. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, it's our sins are from God. So God takes all your sins, put the bottom of a deep ocean, and puts up a sign that says no fishing, right? It's like no fishing, you can't go there. Those sins are gone. When you go to heaven, God won't pull out a big list of all the bad sins you've done and saying, why did you do these things? He's going to say that it's all covered by the blood of Jesus for those that accepted him. Amen? That's the great hope that we have. That we are justified. That we are like considered not guilty. God doesn't have a scale up in heaven between all your good things and bad things you've done. And thank God that that's not the case because you would never measure up, right? <laughs> 
Like the scale was always be tipped against you. So thank God Jesus tipped the scale so we'd be accepted and took away all our sin. Amen? Amen. And then the last one is glorified. He glorified, meaning that in the future we will receive new bodies and we'll have glorified bodies that looks like Christ, that are like Christ, that will be sinless without the imperfections and ailments that we have here on earth. And so that just goes through this. But this brings me to my point, and this might be a bit of a rabbit trail, but for some of you, you like rabbit trails, so that's okay. But I don't know if anybody heard of like a five-point Calvinist or like, a fi- like an Arminianism. Like I could explain to you all of the deep theological truths about five-point Calvinism. But at its farthest extreme, somebody who's a Calvinist believes that um, God chooses like based on his will, who goes to hell, who goes to heaven, and he picks and chooses. And you really don't have any say in the matter. Um, I don't go that far. I land that at some point your heart responds to God. At some point your heart responds to God. But this is the thing to remember, what the Bible teaches. He calls us, like he draws us in and woos us. When we say yes, he justifies us. He, does, he fills us with the Holy Spirit and he starts cleaning us and he does the hard work of transformation. Like you're not just becoming a better person. The Holy Spirit's transforming your soul. Like, you get the difference between that? Like, I don't try to teach, like, behavior modification. Like, like, hey, just be a better person. Now that you're a Christian, you know, stop doing these things. The Holy Spirit is actually transforming you from the inside out. So God calls you. God saves you. He did the work on the cross already. And he's transforming you from the inside out. You know what I mean? Like, what can you boast about that other than I'll accept that? So if you are saved, it's entirely the work of God and if you go to hell, it's entirely your fault for rejecting him. That is the dilemma. That is the dilemma. And that's not the dilemma, but that's the situation. And so nobody in the Bible teaches that nobody goes to hell like against, like they didn't want to, they just went to hell against their will. Like they all chose that by rejecting Christ. And so that's, that's where I land on that. But um, God calls us, he comes to us, and he does the saving grace. That's the mystery. Not, not even mystery, but, but people wrestle with this. Like, well, some people say, well, you didn't even choose. And, you know, I believe that we, our heart responds to God. Our heart responds to God when he knocks. So, when the word of God comes to you, you say yes or no, God does all the heavy lifting. This shouldn't make us feel bad. Like, well, I didn't do anything. Like, God did it all. That's good. God did it all. God did all the heavy lifting. Um, And so you, with that, if it was so frail as all of your work, you could screw it up. God saved you. God called you. And he's going to keep you till salvation. Amen? Like, we, we can't lose our salvation. And that's what I'm trying to get at. Now, some of you, and I've heard this a billion times, well, what if, any little kids in here? What if I just say, screw you, God, and give God the finger and walk away? Am I still saved? Like, why would you ask that? (laughs) Like, why would anybody ask that? And that's the thing people theologically argue over. What if I never go to church, tell God I hate him, and I walk away? Am I still saved? Like, number one, why, again, why would you do that? That's not, like, in the heart of the believe people who follow Jesus. Like, and my thought is if somebody did that, like, they were in church, they said they were saved, they were baptized, and they walk away and said all those things, maybe it wasn't a genuine conversion to begin with. Maybe they just got good at learning the behaviors of the church, right? Maybe they just got good at, like, 
doing what people wanted them to do. And that's what um, somebody talked about when they were baptized at the lake this summer. They said, I, I was in church, I was saved and all this stuff, but I accepted Christianity, I didn't accept Jesus. And that's what some of us do. We accept Christianity, we accept church, but we don't have this personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's the disconnect, I believe, right? People walk away from church because they, and if they, if they truly did forever, I mean, maybe they didn't have a genuine encounter with Jesus, okay? Move on. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says this. Paul goes on in his letter to the Romans and says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be? God's for us. Who can be against us? That's pretty cool. God's on your side. He's got your back. Who's going to come against you if that's the case? In verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If Jesus... If God gave us his son to come down from his heavenly throne down to earth to live as a man where he blood, sweat, and tears and live on this broken earth with us, went to the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan and not eat or drink for, for 40 days, and was taken and beaten and abused and ultimately crucified, if he did that with his son, what does that say about how much he loves you? For those of you who are parents here, who here would give their kids to be tortured and crucified? I, I mean, I wouldn't. And it's, it's okay, I mean, but it speaks to the volume of how much God loves you. And he's saying if he didn't hold back his own son, what do you think he's going to hold back from you guys? Like, what do you think he's going to hold back from us? How great is the love that the Father has lavished over us? He gave his son. I mean, always, always let that sink into us. And if you're doubting the goodness of God, if you're doubting the goodness of God and saying, God, how could you? Anybody ever say that? Don't have to raise your hand, but anybody ever say that? God, how could you? And God's like, did everything for you. You're only here on this earth for a hundred years and I gave you my son so you could be with me for eternity. So how could you ever say how could you to me after I've given you all of this? I've done it all. You know, can't you see that the Bible is a giant love story? The Bible in its entirety, cover to cover, is a giant love story about how much God loves you and what he did for you, how we went astray, but how he had a plan to bring us back. And in the end, he has a plan how he's going to redeem everything. Amen? It's a giant love story. God loves you. He created you. He chose you even though you rebelled. and created a plan so you could be saved. And to doubt God's love and to doubt God's goodness is almost like a slap in the face to God. Anytime we doubt the goodness of God, it could appear as a slap in the face. Because God's like, you don't know how dear you are to me and all that I've done for you. And you step out and look at the grand scheme of things in the Gospels and what he did with Jesus, it shows how much he loves us. If God gave you his son, what would he hold back? Verse 33 and 34 says this, it says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God, is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? If God says you're not guilty, who's going to call you guilty? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding 
for us. Do you guys know what it means, like interceding means? Anybody want to take a stab at that? What's that? Oh, yeah, on behalf of means he's praying for us. He's talking to God. He's praying for us on our behalf. So who could look at you and say guilty? I don't know about some of you, but I've been in the church long enough to know that some of you guys struggle with guilt and shame because of your past. Like your past creeps up on you and you feel guilty about it. You feel shameful about it. And he's saying, if I called you not guilty, who could call you guilty? You know, Satan loves to do that and point at you and say, you're an imposter. You shouldn't be here. The steeple is going to fall on you on your way out because of the crap you did. Anybody ever feel like that in church? I feel like an imposter. Like, if you guys knew my past, I've struggled with feeling like an imposter, that I don't deserve to be here. And he's saying, if God has called you not guilty, who, who on earth can call you guilty? Who, who can come against God? Because if you call you guilty, who he's justified, you're calling God a liar. You're calling God a liar. Satan loves to do that. Satan's kind of like a plunger. He likes to bring up old crap, right? Thank you, this area. You guys, you need to, like, drink some more coffee. Um, I heard it said this. I stole this from somebody. It's not mine. If Satan brings up your past, it's because he's terrified of your future. If Satan brings up your past, it's because he's terrified of what you could do against his kingdom for God's kingdom. He wants to keep you down so you don't rise up to become conformed to the image of his son, God's son. Right? If he's attacking your past, it's because he's terrified of who you'll become. And many Christians stay in the past. And they don't, <laughs> they don't grow to who God wants them to be. Because they feel shame. And he said, if I've declared you righteous, who on earth can declare you unrighteous? And it also says that Jesus is praying for us. And so the last verse before 28 that we talked about when we were outside in the beating sun, when I was preaching out there, it said... The Holy Spirit who indwells in us is also praying for us to the Father in groans that can't even be understood. Right? You guys remember that? So you have the Holy Spirit that's praying for us up in heaven. You have Jesus who's also up there praying for us. It's saying there's like a little prayer meeting up in heaven over you right now. In the heavenly realms, there is people, there's the God, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, are interceding to God the Father over you in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Think about this, okay? The Holy Spirit's praying for us. And so my question to you is, what are you complaining about? Like, what are you complaining about? Like, what do we have to complain about, right? Like, like let's recap today's lesson. You are free. You are deeply loved. You are being transformed to look more like Christ. You are watched over. You have a private prayer meeting in heaven with the Holy Spirit and Jesus talking to God over you. And number six, all the bad things that happen to you, God and his sovereignty is working actually for your good. Amen? Tell me again how 2020 was the worst year of your life. Tell me how your life is so bad and it cannot be redeemed and, you know, if Biden wins the election, your, your, your life is over. Right? Like, just tell me like how bad you have it, and complain. And when you complain, complain in the light of all that we've read in Scripture, all that was done for you. And it's like, you don't have any room to complain, right? 
Like we don't have room to shake our fist at God and say, great God, you know, this is horrible. This has been horrible. Like he said, everything was done for you and God loves you. That's the point of this message is the God of the universe who put every star in the sky loves you individually and actually knows the hairs on your head, how many are there. That's how precious we are to God. And, and he wants that love reciprocated. Last passage is, and I'll be done. Verse 35 through 38 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I know if there is like teenagers here, they'll maybe like middle, my son, if he's here, he'd chuckle because I said naked. But back then, food, clothing, safety was it. That's what you had. If you had those, you were good. And he's saying, take away all your food, take away all your clothes, take away all your shelter, take away your life. You're more than conquerors if all those things are taken away. And so if your joy, if your victory isn't dependent on food, clothing, even living, then what do you really have to be afraid of, of, right? He's saying, take your life. I mean, death isn't the worst thing. Death isn't the worst thing. He's saying a sword could come upon you. So he's saying, what should separate you from the love of Christ? Meaning that if the love of Christ is your all in all, all these things can't touch you. Nothing can touch you. In, in, in even in verse 36, it, it quotes a psalm. It says, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep among the slaughter. I don't know about you, but, you know, back in like April when the corona was at its highest, we thought about death every single day, right? You couldn't turn on the news without seeing like bodies loaded in refrigerator trucks in New York City, a continuous loop of death. Every time you turned down the TV or opened your social media, I went to go to Meyer and get bananas and I had to tell my wife, I'm never going to see you again because there might be corona on the bananas. Like we were all freaked out. And it's still a reality. And the point is, death is around us all the time. This, this virus just put it in our face. Like you face death every time you get behind the wheel of your car. Do you understand that? Every time you're know, coming here, the percentage of dying is fairly high. Like we're not guaranteed on this earth forever. And he's saying, I face death all day long. We're faced with this. And then in verse 37, actually, okay. Actually, verse 37, uh, it says this. Is it up there? Okay, okay, good, good, good. It says this, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons or present or future or any powers, neither height or depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there's a very good application here. It's this. In life, in the Christian life, or in life in general, you're going to be conquerors or victorious, or you're going to be defeated. All right? And like defeated, down, like you're either going to balance between those ones. And so this verse, is it saying that you are more than conquerors in your pursuit for a comfy retirement? Is it saying that? 
No. You might not have a comfy retirement. That's okay. Is it saying you are more than conquerors to get out of debt? No, it's not saying that. Is it saying you are more than conquerors to find the perfect husband or perfect wife? It's not saying that. Is it saying that you are more than conquerors to get that promotion at work? No, it's not saying any of those things. What we view as like being victorious or not defeated is sometimes skewed to what God means. So what does it mean? It's saying you are more than conquerors. Why? Because the love of God will never leave you. God's love for you should be your all in all. It should be your all-encompassing victory. It should be your joy. It should be your peace. It should be your contentment. If the love of God is all of those things, you're going to be fine. Right? Like, you're going to be fine. There's nothing that can take that away. And it started naming off all these things. It's saying we are more than conquerors because the love of God will never leave us. And he's creating a place in heaven for us. So what can you do to me? What can you do to me? Kill me? Well, I'll get to go to heaven. <laughs> you put me down and say you hate my guts? That's okay. Jesus still loves me. Right? <laughs> like what can literally take away your joy if Jesus, if Jesus is your joy? If Jesus is the source of your joy, what can put you down? Nothing. And he, and he reiterates this. So this determines if you're going to be a conqueror in life or you're going to be defeated in life. If the love of God is your all in all, you'll be fine. If money is up there, God will find a way to strip that. <laughs> if your health is up there, I'm sorry, it's going to deteriorate one day. <laughs> Look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's not buff anymore. <laughs> if it's a people's approval up here, that's going to get stripped away in some way or another in your life, right? It's going to go. It's going to go. That was one of the good things about this uh, pandemic is that God started to strip away all of our idols that we had in our lives and we're left with nothing but the love of God, right? <clears throat> Some people had this false idol that their kid was going to be the next Michael Jordan until they took away all the sports. You know, we had this false idol that we were going to be comfy and, and everything was going to be great and it disrupted everything. And if the love of God was your center, you weren't that shaken through all of this, right? Like that, like that didn't get taken away. That didn't get taken away. That's still there. And he's saying, why are you shook? Because we had idols in our life that replaced the love of God in our hearts, and it shook us, right? And he's saying, and that's what it's going to. If the love of God is your end game, your source of joy, your source of peace, your source of happiness, like the source of everything, you'll be fine. You're more than conquerors in Christ. Amen? And so, I just want to say this. If you are here today and you aren't sure if the love of God is your source of joy, God says he gives you the faith to believe. He does all the work of transformation. You don't have to make your life perfect to come to him. You come to him with your imperfect mess and he forgives you, right? And so you can do that today. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So why don't we bow our heads and let me pray for us to end our time here while the worship team gets set up. So I'm going to pray first while your guys' heads are down and just say, God, we love you. We thank you for this message. God, help us live in the love of God all throughout our life. Help us live there. Help us operate from there. And let nothing else replace that. Not money, 
not significance, not acceptance, not achievements. Help us be content with your love. And God, if there's anybody here that have wandered from you or they've never come to you, God, I pray that today is that day that they accept you as Lord and Savior and say, God, I want that. I want your love to be the center of my life. I want that to be my all in all, my end game, my everything. And so God, um, help them cry out to you and just simply say, Lord, I need you. Lord, forgive me for all of my sin and I want to live my life for you. Help them say that in their own words and mean it and accept your sacrifice of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. And help them, God, um, get plugged in and stay connected to the church family and grow in their faith. And then in turn, reach others, as the Bible says. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Use us today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks. Why don't we stand up and sing this last song?